Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. This episode is being recorded live from the NRFshop.org Digital Summit on Tuesday, September 27th, 2016. As usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, this is the second of our live podcast recorded at the NRF Digital Summit. For our live audience, at 2 o'clock today, we're going to be doing a roundup of news, and we have a special surprise guest, hopefully, knock on wood. And at 3.30, Jason and I are doing a breakout session up on Level 2 in rooms C1 and C2. Because we're here at the summit, we have access to what I would call e-commerce luminaries, and today we are joined by Milton Pappas. Milton has had a storied career in retail and e-commerce and was most recently, just most recently, I think days, uh, has announced that he is the SVP of digital at HBC Digital. And he was previously SVP and the chief digital officer at New York and Company. Before that, he did stints at Nine West, TRU, and, or Toys R Us, I should say. Uh, I always call them TRU and Red Cats. Uh, Milton also serves on the shop.org board, which is where Jason and I met him. Uh, well, I've known you since the Toys R Us days, but right. we, we spent a lot of uh, fun time with you there. Welcome to the show, Milton. How are you doing? Uh, thank you, guys. Great to be here. Doing great. Uh, it's really a great show. Uh, lots of really great discussions today, so um, getting a lot out of it. Cool. So you've enjoyed the summit so far? Enjoyed the summit. Um, participated on a panel uh, discussing attribution. Uh, there was a lot of really great discussion on that and um, also attended some of the keynotes. So really great content this year. Cool. So, so you've had a, you know, quite an interesting career. Uh, you've sold toys and apparel and a little bit of everything. Um, give us a little bit of history of how you got into the industry and um, you know, any, anything you want to hit along. I did the super highlights there, but anything along that arc, would love to hear more about, about how you uh, got into this and, and your career path. Sure. So a long time ago, I actually started out in IT um, and moved over to uh, a marketing role. Um, uh, kind of grew up initially marketing in the publishing industry in direct marketing. Worked for a publisher, Reader's Digest, for a number of years. Um, moved into the catalog industry, and that's where I had my opportunity to run marketing and e-commerce. Um, and uh, it was really a great opportunity to take all the disciplines, everything I learned in the direct response industry, and say, "Wow, you know, this is pretty cool. You can actually do this." From a digital perspective, so what we were doing in direct mail and uh, a lot of those principles I found worked uh, great from an email perspective and online. So spent some time in the catalog industry, then moved over to Toys R Us um, to run Toys R Us and BabiesRUs.com. Um, so I, it was came out of uh, apparel into the toy business, uh, and from there Nine West, so back into the fashion uh, industry, and then most recently a New York company. Um, as a chief digital officer, so my role there was uh, a little bit broader, where I ran e-commerce, digital, and uh, we're also launching a lot of cool drive-to-store initiatives with digital. Uh, so that was very exciting. And uh, as you pointed out, most recently, I'm now at HBC Digital. This is day seven for me. So Okay. Uh, and I know HBC stands for Hudson Bay Corporation, or yes. company. Um, uh, what are the different brands within Hudson Bay? So, so this will be your seven-day quiz. That's right. So uh, <laughs> make sure I get this right. So Saks, Saks Off Fifth. Uh, Lord and Taylor, 
um, and also Hudson Bay um, up in Canada. That's uh, the oldest uh, retailer in North America. Um, and then we also um, have a, um, uh, a German retailer that we most recently uh, was purchased. So it's a fairly large organization um, doing a lot of cool stuff from a digital and retail standpoint. Cool. And, and when you were at Toys R Us, uh, if memory serves me right, you were—they had uh, outsourced their their whole e-commerce to eBay Enterprise, or, or previously known as GSI. Um, were you there during that part of that whole tenure? That 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 trans- Well, they were at Amazon, <laughs> and then they kind of famously left Amazon to go to GSI. Um, were you, did that predate you, or were you there during that transition? That predated me. I, I believe that transition happened around two thousand and six ish. So. Uh, I, I joined the company in 2011, um, so they were all already working with um, on at the time the GSI platform, eBay Enterprise. Um, so it was uh, I was there for about almost two years, Got about it. a year and a half. Got it. You know, there was a keynote this morning from Jay Z Penny, and uh, during the keynote, Mike Amend asked the question: Raise your hand if you're with a retailer that's more than 100 years old and you actually could have raised your hand three and a half times. And I did raise my hand. I raised both <laughs> hands actually. So you've been at HBC a week. Have you figured out how to do expense reports and where the bathroom is? Um, I know where the bathroom is. I have not done an expense report yet so this is actually quite timely. Hopefully I'll know. I'll learn how to do that by the end of the week. Um, you might want to let me buy you dinner tonight just to be safe. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and being on the podcast will expense you $2,000. So <laughs> you can run that through. This, uh, this, this setup doesn't come free. Great, thank you. And, and by the way, I, I missed a brand. Uh, we also own Gilt. That was a recent acquisition. Oh, yeah. So. Very cool. You mentioned some of the interesting drive-by uh, traffic generation stuff that you had been working on at New York & Company just before you came here. Could you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. So we were doing a lot of testing with affiliates, uh, Ebates, Retail Me Not, um, mobile drive-to-store campaigns where we were actually testing store-only coupons that were um, only available uh, through their mobile app. Uh, we, we had some uh, great results. Um, and actually, it was uh, something that we had struggled with in terms of our digital marketing efforts, just e- emails, sending an email out every morning. We knew intuitively that it was also driving store sales, but it's often difficult to measure. Uh, so we were uh, really on a quest to try to figure out how much uh, was our digital spend doing in the way of driving uh, store sales and visits. Interesting. Did it, any was that a? Uh, did you learn anything? Any, any interesting insights you can share? So for sure, uh, digital is driving store activity. Um, good. It's good to know. Um, and I think it varies by industry in terms of the level of research that's done. For example, um, mobile, as I like to call, is the omni-channel enabler. Um, you are, if you're like me, you're constantly on your mobile phone. Um, you're you're uh, doing your research before you go into store. Uh, and in some industries, it's as high as they're saying seventy percent of all. Store purchases are actually researched uh, through mobile and online. Uh, so it was uh, very exciting for us to test uh, various digital initiatives through email and through affiliates. We were specifically were trying to drive an action of, okay, let's see if you can get into the store and make a purchase. Cool. It wouldn't be the Jason Scott show if I didn't ask you this one theology question that comes up a lot. Uh, 
also known as the the Amazon question. Um, so Amazon, uh, your last couple of stops have been in the fashion industry. There's a lot of new reports that show Amazon has a voracious appetite. They're kind of kicked off when they acquired Zappos. Uh, depending on what you read, they're either the number one. I think they're number one online in fashion and number two all in. Uh, number one seems to be Walmart. I, I guess that's all sweatshirts and sweatpants and things like that. Socks, lots of socks. Um, how do you how do you think about Amazon? Some people kind of take a hard, very binary approach that you know, friend or foe. Um, some people are kind of in the gray area. What, what's your philosophy around Amazon? So I, I think it depends on the industry you're in um, and whether you manufacture your own product or not. So. Um, when I worked at Red Cats, which is a plus-size uh, men's and women's apparel retailer, we actually launched on Amazon uh, with multiple brands. Um, and I believe at this point they're still selling on Amazon, and it's a, um, a source of, of revenue for them. Um, but they, uh, similar to New York and Company, uh, were manufacturing, we were manufacturing our own product. So we were not a reseller of someone else's product. Uh, we were... Um, so we were the only place you could get it. We didn't have any a store presence. Uh, we we mailed catalogs, lots of catalogs. Uh, it drove um, a ton of e-commerce business for us, the the print media. Um, so we launched on Amazon, and uh, I believe at this point they're still selling on Amazon. Um, when I moved over to Nine West, it was a slightly different relationship with Amazon, where we were selling wholesale. So Nine West is a very large wholesale fashion. Uh, fashion brand and um, they were actually Amazon was actually buying directly from uh, Nine West so that was a different model kind of the wholesale or what I would call the first party or 1P model exactly so during my time at Red Cats it was a third party model Nine West was uh, um, they were buying direct Um, and then in the last earnings call at New York and Company, our CEO announced that we were launching on Amazon, and I believe that's happening this month. Um, so there, again, similar model where we were manufacturing our own product. Um, we felt that it was going to uh, allow us to access an audience that, frankly, was not coming into our stores uh, or websites. Yeah. And so will, you think they'll do some, – some customers we're seeing now, especially these folks that manufacture product, they do a bit of a hybrid model. So they'll go to Amazon and they'll say, here's our 1,000 SKUs or 50,000 or whatever it is. Amazon will take wholesales, maybe 10% of that, and then they'll put the other 90% of their catalog on 3P. I kind of call that the hybrid model. Do you think they're doing that or are they switching all to 3P? It's all 3P at this point because okay. we didn't have a wholesale model. Um, but, but for sure, if you're selling – if you're in the retail world nowadays, you're looking at alternative models. Um, and I believe the numerous retailers are actually looking at going into the first-party model, setting, selling wholesale. Uh, but day one, it's strictly 3P. Okay, interesting. The, an interesting conflict we see a lot, there are a number of retailers that are really focused on private label, specifically to have products that aren't available at Amazon, right? So, we, you know, again, going back to Mike Amon from JCPenney again this morning, they're targeting trying to get 65, 70% of their merchandise to be private label so that it is exclusively available from them. And then on the flip side, uh, we're seeing more and more manufacturers that do have exclusive products. Lands in, um, uh, the Gap has mentioned it, and, and certainly you guys uh, that are trying to reach that Amazon audience and, and are willing to put your products on there. Like, do you, like, was, was that a, a difficult decision to make? Well, for sure, 
there are numerous retailers that have kind of mixed feelings on whether I sell or not on Amazon, right? So um, or, organizationally, we felt that it was the right thing for us because of the fact that, um, and I've, as you know, I've, I've sold now on Amazon in a couple different worlds or three different worlds it will be. And the majority of the time, my experience is you're accessing new customers that are new to your brand. So we felt that strategically it was going to allow us to sort of fish in a different place now where, you know, we can actually uh, get access to customers that were not shopping with our brand today. Right. How about um, so that, that, you know, so you're kind of what I would call marketplace friendly, which uh, coming from Channel Advisor, always good to hear. The How about um, eBay and Jet and Walmart? You, you know, what are your thinking? Should people think about selling there? Um, there's there's some some brands, and I'll say this so you don't have to. Some brands have a little stigma there, where some people kind of say, uh, you know, I've pitched so many companies on selling on eBay, and the number one thing I get back is it's a flea market. Um, they don't want to have their brand associated with it. Walmart has kind of obviously a discount kind of a brand association. Jet seems to be cleaner because it's kind of a new brand and doesn't have any of that kind of history. Um, so any any with that background, any any thoughts on you know if people are seeing success on Amazon, should they try some of these other marketplaces? For sure. Um, once you once you start that model, and if you're integrated with like a channel advisor as as we were, um, you basically have created that pipeline that you can point to a different marketplace, if you will. So when I was at Toys R Us, we sold on eBay, eBay mm-hmm. Marketplace. Uh, we were, I believe, the largest one of the largest suppliers of toys. Um, and then at Nine West, I actually launched a Nine West store on eBay. Um, so it was, uh, so in there is, a, again, we were selling first party to Amazon. So they were buying from us wholesale and we were selling uh, third party on eBay. As you know, they don't, they don't participate in the first party uh, wholesale standpoint. So, um, and this was the time when eBay was really trying to push in the whole fashion world. Um, and they were inviting designers, et cetera. So we felt it was a good place for us to, to sell product. Uh, clearly, it's uh, it feels like a different consumer that's actually shopping on Amazon versus eBay. Uh, we were able to participate in the eBay um, the deals of the day that they run. Those were very successful for us. Um, so it became a, a good liquidation channel for us. Great. Yeah. What's nice about it is you can you can have liquidation on your site, but it's cannibalistic. When you liquidate on eBay. It's not cannibalistic to your site, and you're acquiring kind of a new customer that you can then try to bring over towards your your website. So it's kind of a uh, you know uh, a double win versus a one loss kind of a thing is kind of how I look at it. Yes, and again, we found we had a very large percentage. I would say over eighty percent of the customers that were shopping through eBay were actually new and had not previously purchased from us in the past. So so that was exciting. Just jolted one question I've always wanted to ask the. Uh, Toys R Us does, I think I looked this up, they do like 80% of their business in, in holiday or something, some you know extreme amount kind of a thing. November and December, yeah. very intense yeah. period. Yeah, and at Channel Advisor, we're at something like you know 30 to 40%. I've always That's always stressful when you have you know the whole back end, the year or so back end. What was it like? Was was it like a visceral kind of a you know stress kind of you know eating your knuckles and, until you saw the numbers come in? So interesting. I... I I started at Toys R Us uh, November 2011, and I actually started on Cyber Monday. So um, when they hired me, uh, they felt strongly that uh, in order for me to really understand the toy business and the culture of the company, um, even though obviously day one Cyber Monday, I wouldn't be able to contribute, um, it was really more to kind of be there as an observer and to just see that intensity of the toy industry over that 
let's call it six to eight week period is just because you, you're doing 50% of your business. Um, so that was really, uh, it was very intense, high volume. Um, and also the fact that you are an iconic retailer like Toys R Us, where uh, regardless of where you're making your store purchase, you are going to do your research on ToysRUs.com first, right? So uh, we had a, a ton of traffic um, around Black Friday, Cyber Monday, um, and uh, it, it was it was a great experience. Um, it was, again, it was very intense, uh, a lot of volume over eight weeks. And then the cool thing is, um, which it was also a big focus, is you know we're doing good things for kids. I mean, you're at the end of the day, you're selling toys, so that's a lot of fun, and you're you're making a lot of kids happy. So from a retail and an online standpoint. But if I don't get my Tacomi Elmo, I think that's 2011 time frame, then I'm going to lose my mind. So, so that's there's, right. there's, a, there's an edge to that that's kind of a little tricky to make sure you nail. Well, there was definitely a commitment organizationally that we were going to get those orders there by, by Christmas. I mean, it was very much a, a major focus to get those orders out the door. Did that? Uh, do you think you built some extra holiday readiness muscles from that experience that you're going to be able to apply in your new role? No question about it. Um, I found that since my time at Toys, um, I approach Black Friday, Cyber Monday uh, in a much. I have a much different perspective, and uh, it really gets you ready um, to. Uh, you really think about it completely different, and you're you're much more focused when you get into the holiday period. Uh, changing topics to omni-channel a little bit, uh, I, I sort of think about each of your roles having a, a, a different complement of omni-channel experiences and philosophies. I don't know if in a week you've, you've had a chance to even get up to speed on uh, HBC's omni-channel, um, but how did you guys think about that back at, at Toys? So, um, I would, so Toys was my first real experience in the omni-channel world. Um, so when I joined the organization, we were doing in-store pickup, ship from store. Uh, we were had the ability for the store associates to actually place an online order in the store. Uh, during my tenure there, we launched ship to store. Um, so that was very handy for the, the big bulky items like the gym sets um, and then on Babies R Us standpoint, the cribs, etc. So um, that is really um, that opened my eyes to the power of omnichannel when I saw that a large percentage of our orders um, um, not quite I, I believe Mike quoted it was about 50% or so that were picked up in a store for JCPenney we were not that high at the time um, it, it varied obviously during the time of year uh, so for example um, you always have your shipping cut off in e-commerce, right? It could be like the 21st of the month or whatever, December, you're saying, um, you know, this is the last day uh, to order before get in time for holiday. Otherwise, after that, you're going to have to get into expedited shipping. Well, when you're doing in-store pickup, you can literally promote down to December 24th and say, you can get it today and come to one of our stores. Um, so that's where I really, I realized that it's a significant advantage to actually have a brick-and-mortar presence um, when you have a, a sizable e-commerce business. And, and now if you see, look, look how many pure players are actually opening up stores, right? So Amazon, uh, I, I read recently that they're going to have something like 100 stores that they're looking to open or some big number like that, right? That's certainly one of the rumors. Yes. Yeah. Some of those are pop-ups, to be fair. I don't know how many will be like full-on stores. Right. <laughs> but but nevertheless, I mean, in, in New York City, we have the War, a Warby Parker store, right, in the Meatpacking District. Uh, Rent the Runway uh, has a store. So so there's uh, Bonobus. Uh, there's for sure, uh, they're realizing uh, the advantage when you're a pure player 
uh, to actually have a brick-and-mortar presence because at the end of the day, you still have well over 80% of retail transactions that still happen in a store, right? I know uh, your CEO at Toys R Us at the time was a very impassioned advocate for the value of uh, stores, and I I think I remember him doing a keynote here where he... um, sort of strongly made the case for the fact that the stores can be a competitive advantage. And he's your boss again now, isn't he? So, yeah, Jerry Storch. So Jerry is the uh, chairman of HBC. Um, And I actually uh, report to a gentleman by the name of Dion Rooney, who's the head of HBC Digital. Um, Yes, so so Jerry Storch, uh, he spoke at um, Shop.org a couple years ago. uh, And he's very passionate about the omni-channel experience. Oh, and I know you're only seven days in, but um, you, you know, uh, a topic we love to talk about is mobile. Uh, most retailers we talk to, about half their traffic or more is kind of now coming from mobile. I put tablet in with smartphone. Google doesn't, so you know, put it wherever you want. Um, what are some of the things you've learned about mobile over the years, and and um, you know what? If you have any vision for where you want to, where you think mobile, how retailers should deal with mobile, we'd love to hear it. So I, I think. So first of all, the, the question that always comes up about mobile is, what are we going to do to boost that conversion up, right? So at the end of the day, when you look at your conversion on desktop and tablet, probably pretty similar. Uh, tablets usually, at least in my experience, a little bit lower. Um, so for example, if I just use some numbers, so if your conversion on desktop is, let's call it 4%, tablet, you're probably like 3-ish. Um, and then on mobile phone, you're somewhere between 1 and 2 Okay, that's typically how it will index. And many retailers are trying to drive up that conversion on mobile. It's never going to be where desktop is because at the end of the day, the mobile device is not only an ordering device, but it's a browsing device. So as we talked, as we mentioned initially, you're doing a lot of browsing, you're doing research in stores, you're bringing up customer reviews. So you are driving a lot of browsing traffic that's typically not going to convert. Uh, and then you have the other sort of multi-device attribution uh, in the world of I do my research on mobile and then I actually finish my transaction on desktop and vice versa. Uh, so I would say you have to think about mobile a little bit differently. It's not just a mini website and a small screen. You have to really think about um, how am I developing a, a customer experience that is for someone that is quote unquote mobile um, and and how do I also use it to connect to my store uh, from an in-store experience as well? Yeah, have you, like, in any of the roles, have you done anything around specifically mobile in-store and providing a unique mobile experience in the store that's differentiated from the so, at home? So when I was at New York & Company, we had a mobile app that, um, so we had a, a store card, uh, New York Company Rewards card. And uh, New York Company has a mobile app and, the uh, rewards card is actually integrated in the app. So we were, um, basically the customer could come to the store with a mobile app and actually bring up an image of their card, of their store card, and we could scan it at the POS. Um, So we were uh, using uh, loyalty, our store card, uh, where we had a a decent percentage of our store and online transactions as, as the hook for our mobile app. Uh, so we were really looking to drive that usage in store. Did you get to the point where sales associates could have a retailing platform and then kind of say, oh, I know you, Mr. Customer, you love this kind of shoe brand or, or anything like that? Or No, not yet. That, that was not something we had been working on. Um, but, of course, every single retailer has to look at that in terms of because um, consumers almost expecting it now. Yeah. 
You you mentioned attribution earlier, and that's uh, you know one of the challenges with mobile. Um, have you seen any interesting uh, sort of tools or tactics to do that multi-device attribution? So that that's a really good question. Yesterday, one of the questions that came up is, who are the vendors that you're working with? What are you doing that's cool from a from a, uh, a, a uh, software or technology perspective uh, from, on, on attribution, I, I would say a couple of things. I, I think first, um, and I'm, I'm not sure that there's enough emphasis placed on it, but I think, I think there has to be a focus on getting as much of that data, uh, ensuring that everything is tagged appropriately, uh, making sure that uh, the data kind of makes sense uh, from an attribution standpoint, and then sort of taking that next step and trying to get it down to the customer level so that you can, uh, that's very powerful to know that a customer recently browsed your website, um, they were on a mobile device. Um, so I, I would say there's really kind of no clear answer, Jason, because I, I think everyone's still trying to figure it out. I think you have to kind of pick a lane and, and sort of learn as you go. It's an iterative process. Yep. Yeah, and attribution's interesting. So when I first got in e-commerce, it was all about marketing attribution, kind of last click and, and you know how do you give some assist up channel. And then uh, omni-channel kind of became the hot thing and then it became store to digital. And then kind of mobile kind of came into the conversation. And then that started device kind of you know attribution. So it, it's if anything, it's kind of gotten logarithmically more complex. <laughs> you know, so, so now you're kind of trying to attribute these things. Um, I always and we have Facebook on the show tomorrow, and I think they're in a really interesting position there because, a, they have like 1.6 billion people that use their their app, uh, and then they've done a really good job of kind of saying cookies and that kind of stuff aren't the future because they're they're so device um, agnostic or yeah device dependent. tied dependent, uh, and Facebook is kind of you know they 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 can be the one company that seems to be able to kind of possibly solve that, right. um, but you know there's some limitations there as well. And I, I think there there's also a lot of retailers doing some cool things with first-party data in Facebook um, in terms of being able to kind of open up, get the email addresses, and being able to do some targeting directly on Facebook. Kind of like the audience matching exactly. kind of technology. So, yeah. so I think they're doing a lot of cool stuff there. Um, I, I would say Facebook, obviously, to your point, has such a wide net that they're in a unique position. Um, and uh, and they're doing some forward-thinking things. So, for, so I think there's a lot more to come there. Yeah, there's... Uh, you know, two platforms in North America that just have a ton of authenticated users, right? And that's Facebook and Google. And so it's not an uncommon strategy to do some targeted media with those two companies explicitly so that you can see the multi-attribution for that advertising audience. So, you know, that, that can act as sort of a surrogate and give you for a, a feel for what the, the multi-device attribution is for your entire customer base. Um, an interesting thing uh, that Adobe's trying to do, and I, I don't think it's it, uh, they've really hit critical mass yet, is actually set up a co-op of all the retailers that are using, in their case, Adobe Analytics. So, uh, you know, their their model is you opt into this co-op and you share anonymous, authenticated uh, data about your users, and they aggregate that with all the other retailers in the co-op. Um, and then when you have a, a known user, you can you can go query that that known user in the co-op and get all the other device IDs that that user owns. So it's sort of a uh, a way to democratize that that big competitive advantage that Google and and Facebook have that they they know so many of their users. And 
and sorry, so that's a really good point. It is about critical mass, right? So they have such a large audience uh, between Google and Facebook. And at, at the end of the day, it all starts there, uh, being able to get access to the audience. Because as a retailer, we're constantly looking for new customers and traffic, and that's what's driving our business. So to be able to tap into those audiences is, is really a huge advantage that they have. Cool. So you, you've had a, you know, a, a great career in e-commerce and have seen a lot of things happen over the last 10, 15 years. Um, let's look forward three to five years. What are, you, what are some of the interesting trends that you think about? On the show, we've talked about chatbots, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. Jason sent, sent a tweet out about laser beams. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what he's uh, sending out there. killer laser beams. Killer laser beams. I don't know how you feel about those. It sounds a little violent for, for kind of uh, being customer-friendly, but I, I don't know. Uh, any would love to hear you know, kind of the things that, that, that you see on the frontier of e-commerce. So I, I think what's exciting from an e-commerce standpoint, I mean, obviously mobile, um, trying to figure out what uh, the level of store activity that's being driven by digital. Um, so paid search, is it is it just driving conversion and sales on my site or is it actually uh, driving a store visit? So there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with geotargeting, geofencing, et cetera. Uh, so I think that um, many retailers are trying to figure that out. I also feel that the user-generated content is really um, a, a great trend. If you think about, you know, when we started, it was about content, commerce, and community. And so the content and commerce obviously has been excelling and doing well, but community sort of lagged behind, right? And I think now community is finally starting to pick up. Um, so, in for example, uh, at Nine West uh, and also at New York and Company, we were taking a lot of the social data, the user-generated content, and actually um, posting it to our website. And we had a photo gallery, and we, we gave customers the opportunity to upload um, an image of herself in the new dress that she bought at our store. Uh, and we were... Uh, we were just amazed how many customers are actually engaged in doing that. And, and we found it very powerful to post that content on the product page as an, like an alternate image, if you will. And it was driving a lot of sales for us from a conversion standpoint. So, uh, so I'm very excited about all this user-generated content uh, and, and this trend that's really picked up in the last couple of years. I mean, for sure, customer reviews have been around forever. Uh, I first launched customer reviews when I was at Red Cats in 2007. Uh, initially, that was very controversial. Merchants didn't want to... Uh, they, were, they were concerned about, okay, someone is going to actually see a review on a product that I created, and they were concerned, but, but over 80% of the reviews were positive. Um, but now this trend of being able to, to take social content and, and being able to post it on your site, I think, is very powerful. Yeah, uh, and particularly you think about some product categories where they're a little more subjective, right? So, you know, apparel, like just because I rate something uh, highly, I, I have no style, um, that, that potentially shouldn't be a very influential review for you. Um, and uh, whereas that... that other form of social proof, that user-generated content, if a bunch of uh, very dapper-looking gentlemen are all uploading photos of themselves in that, that garment, that, that serves as a, a great alternative form of social proof. And, and, you know, that's a really good point because if you look at what the, the growth categories in retail right now, men's fashion, men's apparel is really growing. And um, many 
uh, a lot of folks in the industry attribute that to all the social content that's out there now. Um, because, you know, previously I could have my wife basically tell me what I should wear, but now I can go to Pinterest or Instagram and, and actually get ideas to your point of, uh, what other folks are wearing. So. And while I am not very stylish, let the record show that Milton and I are very similarly dressed at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I'm the underdressed one. In <laughs> That's the a, a moral victory for me. Yeah, good job. Just wear what Milton does. Exactly. That's your social proof. Yeah. <laughs> I just got to load an image. Exactly. <laughs> just an image. Send me an image every day and I'll, yeah, exactly. I have a feeling that could cost me uh, a lot of money. Um, well, listen, Milton, uh, we've totally appreciated you being here, but as per usual, we have uh, flown through our allotted time. Uh, so we desper- definitely want to thank you for taking time out from the busy show to share some of your thoughts with us. Um, up next at 2 o'clock, we're going to have a news recap and a special guest. And then, of course, at 3.30, Scott and I are going to take our show onto the big stage and host the Jason and Scott show session, um, where we'll, we'll finally get to the bottom of, of a bunch of the popular topics that Scott is wrong about and that I'm right about. Yeah, yeah, the audience will get to chime in on that. Milton, we really appreciate it. Best of luck with your, uh, you've had your first seven days for the next, hopefully, years at your new gig. And, and we look forward to hearing, having you back on the show to, to hear more about HBC and, and what you're doing there. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.